The Blood Red Podcast is heading to Dublin and the D2 Bar for an exclusive live Champions League final preview night brought to you by Carlsberg on Wednesday, May 29th. Our very own James Pearce and Ian Doyle will be joined by host Phil Egan from the Off The Ball and Stephen Daly from the LFC Day Trippers podcast. Doors open at 7pm with the event kicking off at 7.30pm and tickets are exclusive to competition winners. To enter, visit bloodred.ie. That's bloodred.ie. Don't miss out. This is the Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield. Hello and a very warm welcome to the View from the Cop podcast to look ahead to the Champions League final between Liverpool and Tottenham Hotspur. I'm your host Paul Wheelock and who better to join me than two men who will be cheering Liverpool on to what could be European Cup number six and that's Dan Kay. Hello there. And Paul Philbin. Hello. So lads, you, you've got your tickets, your, your flights and hotels are booked. Hopefully you've got your sun cream packed. I don't know mm. if you've seen the, the forecast for over in Madrid. But how are you feeling a few days before what, let's not forget, is the biggest game in European club football. It is, and even though we were there last year, this is what the fourth in fourteen years. Um, you can't take something like this for granted. This is what we all live for. This is what we all dream for. Um, I mean, it has felt like the longest build-up ever, and I think it probably is. We know this is the first competitive game Liverpool have ever played in June. And to be honest, when the season, when the league season ended, I was actually quite glad of the break because obviously the disappointment of not winning the league and just that emotional intensity of the last few weeks that was, I think, I felt physically drained and I'm sure a lot of the players and a lot of other fans did as well. But I kind of feel that everyone's kind of had a chance to kind of recharge the batteries and is just massively up for it now and it's just a case of clock watching until it's time to go to the airport, really. <laughs> That's it, yeah. I think physically drained after the, the season's a perfect way to describe it. Like, after that Barcelona game, I remember just looking around, like, I had tears in my eyes. I weren't crying, but I had tears in my eyes. My mates were... You I saw, wasn't either. The, that video on the Echo was a blag. <laughs> <laughs> you saw, fake you saw, emotion. <laughs> you saw people, like, keeled over. It's like, we've given all that we can give here. And obviously, there's one more to go. But I think people would like... Right, that break's going to do some good. I was knackered after Barcelona. <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> I went home and had a few drinks. Um, didn't feel too great the next day, but... Yeah, I was exhausted, and even though we had the the game against Wolves, I was like, get that out of the way and just have that break. Because even though the players need to be recharged, we do, because it has been a long emotional season with ups, downs, and the rest kind of thing. So, yeah, but I've been on countdown since probably the Tuesday after the end of the season, um, and now it's... Well, I've only got two days left and we're until we go. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. It should be fun. Let alone before that, Barcelona's second leg. Let's like cast our minds back to, about, to before and after that Madrid final last year when we started doing this podcast. And mm. I think we all said around that around that time that Liverpool were the real deal. You know, we said that before the game and, and the, despite the defeats. But did you think a year on we could be back in the situation we're talking about Liverpool being the European Cup final for the second straight season? I hope we would be. But particularly after the, you know, the heartbreaking way that it all kind of went down in Kiev, I did have my, my fears and worries about it because obviously the, the, we, you know, there's ways to lose games and way, ways to lose finals and just the way it went against us. You know, we, we were, you know, we didn't, it's not like we didn't turn up or we got battered, but we got beat 3-1 and it was, it was a demoralising defeat. And obviously what happened to Salah, um, Karius, uh, obviously the World Cup coming, I, I did fear... I wouldn't say, you know, I was convinced it would go this way, but I did worry that there might be a significant hangover for us. And it just didn't really happen. What we won, like, the first 
seven or eight, I think, games. Yeah, we're, 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 uh, yeah, the, I think the draw at Chelsea was the first the game first, that we didn't yeah. win. That was right at the end of September. And I think it speaks volumes for this team's mental strength and character and application. Um, because it's not like this season has been without its its pitfalls or its dramatic moments or its setbacks that they've somehow managed to find a way through. And, and to me, you know, every time, you know, I've, I've probably listened to the, the, I've got a brilliant little kind of video clip that's basically the goals from the Barcelona game with the Five Live radio commentary. I must have listened to it at least three or four times a day since then. <laughs> and even now, it, it occasionally gets me a bit, a bit choked. And the reason for that is because it wasn't just that, you know, that we won from 3-0 down against the great team with all these boss players, you know, with, with our, you know, some of our best players missing. It was the fact that after, you know, it felt like initially the tie was going to be a microcosm of our season that we put so much into it and we were going to get nothing out of it because we, we played so well in the first leg of the new camp and it felt so wrong to be walking out of there 3-0 down. And then obviously there was the Newcastle game that, you know, where again, everything was going against us because he did two soft equalisers. Salah goes off injured and straight away he thought he's not going to play on Tuesday against Barcelona. Origi gets the late head and, and even if I still, I, you know, I never really thought City would lose to Leicester. At least I kind of thought, well, it gives us that little charge going in there. But then obviously when that City-Leicester game went the way it did and then Vincent Company pings <laughs> that one in from 30 yards in the last quarter of an hour... It just felt like how many how many blows can this team take? Do you know what I mean? They've they've kept themselves positive, kept themselves going so frequently, particularly in that last two months of the season. So to do what these did against Barcelona in, in in that second leg at Anfield, I haven't got the words to sum up the kind of the admiration that I've got for this team's heart and balls, if I can say that on no, this podcast. You can. <laughs> does, does that make this season more special? Because. I, I, was last season's run to Kev almost carefree because it was so unexpected. Whereas this season, I know at times the Champions League has been kind of like that break from that relentless campaign, you know, in the league to try and chase down City. But there was expectation mm. on Liverpool this season. You know, you think like after, and, and there were certain setbacks in that group stage as well. In a way, given what they've done so far to get to this final, is it more impressive? It is, yeah. But historically, the winners of the Champions League don't have great starts in the tournaments. And the, well, most knockout tournaments, like the World Cup and things, the teams who go on to win it don't start well. And we've just progressed and progressed. And once we got to the knockout stages, Klopp just knows how to set up a team. All right, we got beat 3 0 Barcelona. But apart from that, you look at the results, it's like, oh, we're absolutely perfect. In, in, um, both legs of every tie, uh, like by Munich when we played them at Anfield, nil uh, nil. It was a bit disappointing. You wanted to go over to the Allianz with a lead, but on the other hand, there was no Van Dijk, so it was kind of we went there with and not conceded and do things like that. You look back on, but twenty eighteen was momentum, and then this year has just been a know how of how to mm, well progress. Like we know how we're now a team who understand Europe, and I think I said to you the Klopp's biggest win as Liverpool manager will be by Munich. It will define. I honestly convinced it will define his career as Liverpool manager because before then, any time we come up against a team with that know-how, they've done a number on us. Severe in that Europa League, even though we were better than Severe. They just knew how to win that Europa League, Real Madrid, um, in the final of the previous season. But yeah, on what Dan was saying about the team having balls, 
it's been the trend since Klopp came in. When he came in, we got to the League Cup final, we're beaten. Bounced back, got to the Europa League mm-hmm. final, got beat. Bounced back, got in the top four, and then get to Kiev, bounce back, go for the title, go again in the European Cup, miss out on the title, bounce back, win the European Cup final. Now it's time to take this next step. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you brought up the manager there because we all know like the love affair Liverpool have got with this competition and I think we were just speaking in the office before a win on Saturday and I think it's only Milan and Real Madrid have actually won yeah. more than European Cups. But you mentioned Jurgen Klopp there. This is his third season he's been in Europe with Liverpool. It's a third final. This should not be overlooked, should it? It's an absolutely remarkable record. Well, he's, he's still never lost a two-legged tie as, as Liverpool manager, manager either, has he? And, and, you know, and, and his, you know, he's had some... Pretty tough opponents, you know, over the two over the two seasons, Man City, Barcelona, Bayern Munich, you know, good. I mean, even the group stage this year, you know, Napoli and PSG, even Red Star away, you know, yeah. just no walk in the park, was um, it? You look at him. We've played every team other than Juventus and Atletico Madrid, where you go, they're the up there, yeah, the, yeah, yeah. Um, the, the point you were making before, though, about you know this team and, and the, the character, the, the Cajones, whichever way you want to put it, absolutely. We've seen this in spades <clears throat> pretty much through every kind of stage of Klopp's reign so far. But if you look at if you look at his career, his, his career before he came to Anfield, it, it characterises that as well. I think particularly his, his, you know, his first club at Mainz. <clears throat> and in fact, I think he said in his press conference today, you know, the, the, the one at Melwood, he was asked by a foreign journalist, you know, if you if you were to win this, would be would this be your finest achievement in football? And he said, no, that will always be getting Mainz nor for a tiny little team promoted to the Bundesliga for I think the first time in their history. Yeah. But you know, if anyone who's done the homework or watched any of the, you know, the documentaries or, or, or rest of about him, it was third time lucky. I think the the, the previous two the, the previous two seasons before they actually finally did get to promoted to the Bundesliga, they basically blew it on the last day, or you know, blew it maybe a bit harsh, but basically had a chance to get to do it on the on the final day and didn't. So there is kind of like a parallel there between you know a, you know a few naysayers say oh it's, he keeps losing cup finals he's a bad omen this that and the other but I was kind of think of the famous Shankly quote to do with Roger Hunt <clears throat> when, when when that gets wheeled out and then you know I think Roger towards the end of his career was having a bit of a lean spell and he was getting a bit of stick off the press and he was asked about it by some reporter and Shankly, you know he, he keeps missing all these chances and Shankly and Shankly said yeah but he's there to miss them and that that I've you know I've I've, I've always I've felt that. Particularly, you know, over the last year to eighteen months, if we keep getting to cup finals, we keep if we keep getting to the position where you can lift silverware with the quality and the character that this team's got, it's only a matter of time before it happens. And please God, it'll be this weekend. I know Fitzy asked this question on Poetry Emotion this weekend. Echo with everything you've just said there, Dan. But given the fact that the job he's done and, and Liverpool probably for the first time in his reign in the cup final a favourite yeah. does he have to win this one I know he's got absolutely <laughs> nothing to prove we've just seen this remarkable record breaking league campaign but do you think this is the one he's certainly deserved it, Sophie does he have to win this one <laughs> I actually don't know um, yeah to an extent because we're going into a favourites and there's been too many close calls in what for years now Um before before him. Even before yeah, him, yeah. yeah. And it's maybe not for him as much, but the team in general, like they can't they can't continue. No matter I I know the squad's completely different to previous finals. They can't continue to lose finals. It's 
it shouldn't happen. <laughs> it can happen, but it shouldn't. I think. I don't think Klopp has to win, but more not questions will be asked, but people will start to say, "Oh, Liverpool won't win anything." It's kind. Of, it's becoming a trend. Yeah, I mean, if if we weren't to win, I, I, I can't see you won't have any Liverpool fans saying you've got to go because in the era of social media, there'll be there's bound to be a few who are chiming in. But I don't think there'd be any concerted campaign, certainly from no, the no, no, for it. But it's it, it, it's a different dynamic to this final. In all the, the, the previous finals, maybe a slight exception with Sevilla, although even Sevilla, you know, had won what. The previous two Europa Leagues, City in the League Cup, obviously Real Madrid last year, who we were going for three three in a row, four out of five. Not so much there was a feeling that we were just there for the day out, there for the jolly, but there was a sense we've done well to get there and we really, really want to win. But, you know, we're up against top opposition, it's going to be hard. And listen, then we'll say it's not going to be hard against Tottenham because they are a very, very good side who are there on merit and a, a dangerous opponent. But after the, you know, said many times, for me, one of the best things about this year is it's a continuation of last season. It's not just one good year in isolation. Obviously, we've put together another great run in Europe with a phenomenal, outstanding league campaign. They ha- their only mindset is, this is ours, we're, you know, this is our time, we are going to win this cup. Defeat is unthinkable because, you know, I, I, to be honest, I'm not letting myself think about it. You know, I, I don't know, I've, I've been listening to a few podcasts, that listen to, obviously, we're all having conversations with our mates and looking forward to it. But how we would go into, you know, whenever it is early July, how, how, you know, how we would pitch next season to them. If, you do, if, we, don't, if we haven't got the European Cup sitting on the trophy, uh, sitting on the sideboard mm. in the summer, I don't know. I'm sure we find a way, but let's hope it doesn't come to that. No, definitely. I, everything I've watched Klopp again today in the players, the mentality just looks spot on, doesn't it? And like I know, as you rightly said there, there was disappointment on being pipped to the Premier League by Man City. We can't forget, it was nine straight wins to finish the season, wasn't it? You can't, yeah. you can't ask for better form than that. But, so what do we make of Tottenham then? You know, they are probably the underdogs in this story, definitely. aren't they? Yeah. You know, but they are a good team, but you should take confidence from the fact like let's look at the table 26 points difference 20 I mean it's, it's, well, I hear things like that and I kind of start thinking about 1990 when we beat Crystal Palace 9-0 and then they threw us in the FA Cup semi but it's it's apples and oranges I mean <clears throat> Tottenham Tottenham are a really good side and you know Pochettino I think is, is an outstanding is an outstanding manager and has done an amazing job there when you think about how little money he's spent the whole kind of mess they've had to deal with with the delays of the stadium um, Harry Kane's injuries and this, that, and the other. But Liverpool are better than Tottenham, um, and you know it, 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 it's no disrespect to Tottenham whatsoever. But if both teams play to anything like their ability, Liverpool should win. Um, you know, they're, they're, but there's no guarantee both teams will play. And if Liverpool don't turn up on the day, or take or a complacent or arrogance, or think you know they've, they've got it in the bag, then then they could be in for a rude awakening. But I just think that after everything this team has been through. They're so determined, you know, the, 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 the need to take what I feel is rightfully theirs, which is a title. You know, I think we all wanted it to be the lead championship title, but champions of Europe ain't bad either. But, but it, it's, you know... Good consolation prize, isn't it? Yeah. Nice. I mean, <laughs> but, the, but the, you know, it, it's, it, it, it's not going to be given to us just because we've had two Bosch years. You've got to go and be the better side on the night. But I think... You know, I, I also think as well, just going back to Tottenham as well, there'll be maybe a slight element of where we were last year and that 
we're here, we're in the final, we deserve to be here, we've had a great run. But, you know, watching, and I've, I think I've watched it back maybe once or twice or certainly excerpts of, of the KL final. There was times watching it were kind of like, I wouldn't say we were rabbit, rabbits in the headlights, but there was kind of a sense of, wow, we're really here, we're really doing it. Whereas now this team, I think in every likelihood, probably eight or nine of the starting lineup in Kiev will we'll, we'll start on Saturday. Whereas with you know, Tottenham haven't just not been in a European Cup final before. They've not, this team hasn't played in, in a cup, any cup final. So I'm not saying they're going to freeze because I think, you know, they're, 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 they've got a team virtually full of established internationals. But we've been over the, over the course before and you know, we, sh- we should be prepared, hopefully, to hit the ground running. You're spot on, but I do think there's going to be a moment for those Tottenham players where they go winning the European Cup final. I've said this to you mm. um, last week on the podcast when we had Dan and Kieran in. Um, all the little things for me, like the media day that they had yesterday, the, I, I can't really describe it. Them standing on this thing and spinning round for like. <laughs> really? I've not, not seen that. Like, Liverpool did this, so Tottenham have to do it. And like, right. I don't know if you remember in Kiev, when the teams, when they announced, it wasn't like somebody pitch side saying it, it was the players coming up on the screen and like, I don't know, Loris Carriers, and he'd say it. So the right. players would be doing this kind of stuff again. Yeah. And it's these things where been, it will be in their head going, I'm doing this for the European mm. Cup final. Yeah. So, this, is, this is the real big thing. Yeah. You're only human, aren't yeah. you? At the end of the day. <laughs> Definitely. And I'd like, Dan's right, Tottenham are a good side. And they could beat us. They maybe could have beat us at Anfield. Um, like both games were tight, even at Wembley. But <sighs> something's just telling me that it's fine. Everything's fine. Liverpool in the European Cup final against Tottenham were better than them. Just like I might be completely wrong, but yeah, I think the occasional get might not get like to them as a whole. But I think the little things. I think maybe the difference now is that you know the occasion may or may not not get to Tottenham in a negative sense. But what I think or I hope is that the occasion will get to Liverpool in a positive sense. Yeah. Yeah. And whereas maybe last year one or two of them possibly shrank from it. I would hope that this year some of them will actually rise and actually be, be kind of risen up from the occasion, from the intensity of it. Listen, it might happen to a couple of the Spurs players as well, but I just think that that course experience, particularly from last year, should stand us in really, really good stead. Klopp will treat it like a normal game as well. Like He's not going to mess about with all different preparations. Like We've been out to Spain already. Yeah. We've done all that kind of stuff. I think I read somewhere that Tottenham are going out today. Mm, bit early. It's, it, it is. It's like they haven't had a training camp. I don't know what day this going out, but it's what day is it today? Tuesday. Tuesday. Yeah. They're going out either today or tomorrow, which is a long time away preparing for a match because it, it's even just like the home comforts of your own bed, going home, seeing your kids, your kids and stuff yeah, like that. You're yeah. away from all that for a few days, building up to the, probably the biggest game of your career. At some point, that will have an effect on you whether it's a few days before when you're training train on the Friday or something, or at the, when kickoff comes, you'll feel that, surely. <laughs> you wouldn't be human if you didn't. No, no. I think it's an interesting point because I think Klopp knows his best team, and it probably comes to the lineup in a minute, and I'm, I'm pretty sure we could all name it, and maybe one or two at best differences. 
Whereas Tottenham, you wonder if Pochettino may overthink things because he has got this question over Harry Kane. Like, he's at that media day you were talking about then, Paul, saying, I'm fit. And then you got Pochettino on the other hand saying, oh, we'll have to see. Mm. Like, what, what do you think on that? Because obviously he is their star man, but at the same time, when he's come back, they've seen to drop points, haven't they, in the league? Like, he, he bothered, or would you prefer him to start on the bench or, <clears> or even start maybe half it? I think Tottenham are the best side without him. I think they look well more I dangerous. think the numbers in the second half of the season yeah. certainly tell you that. Yeah, because everything goes through Harry Kane when he's playing, whereas when he's not playing, you've got Mauro, who's a completely different player to him, alongside Son, who's rapid. Yeah, he's a good both of them, it, yeah. Both of them are really yeah. quick, mm-hmm. whereas when Kane plays, he's not slow, but he's a completely different player to those two, and... I don't know, maybe if he does play, because it could help. Like, don't get me wrong, he's a great striker and he can score from anywhere. I know it's cliche, but it would, I think it would suit us more if he plays because Tottenham will be a lot slower. I think it's a big concern for Tottenham, that, because, you know, it's something that we looked at relatively closely as the season was going on because obviously Spurs had that big league game at Man City that I think a lot of us were identifying for weeks in advance that that might be the one that trips them up. And of course, it was only it was three days before that in the first leg of the Champions League quarter when he got his injury. That's, so you know, he was in the team at that stage. But I, I think I'm right in saying he injured his ankle first when they lost at home to United in January, in mid-January, I think the day after mm-hmm. we played Brighton. Yeah. Um, and they then went on quite a good run. And then he came back in, I think, kind of like early... It was, ba- early. It was Burnley, wasn't it? Burnley yeah. away. He scored, he didn't he? But he, he lost. He scored at Burnley uh, yeah. and he lost. And then didn't he lose like kind of three or four yeah. out of five yeah. on yeah. bounce? So a lot of people was and yeah, we, you can prove anything you want with statistics. Sometimes I, I don't, you know, I don't think that that the the the, the god, you, you, you know, you, you, I don't put a hundred percent store in them. But obviously, you know, we live in an era of data, and you know, data can you know give you interesting information about trends and and, and how things you know and how things are happening, and the numbers do indicate that Spurs are a more successful team. They pick up more points, they get more wins, they score more goals when Kane isn't in the team. And yet, you know, I would say Kane is one of the top strikers in the world at yeah. the moment. At, you know, fully fit at his best. And I think Pochettino's big challenge that he probably hasn't really been able to kind of fully address this season is how to incorporate the, the evolution of his team. Because it's not just about, you know, the, you know, the, some of the, you know, their front four or five is, is as good as most around. You've got Kane, obviously, then there's Lucas Moura, Son... But then Deli Ali and Ericsson, who are also key players for them. So it's how he's able to adapt that in the front line, the attacking midfield, the midfield of his team. And he's not probably really been able to kind of like develop that as much this season as I think he would have liked to have done. So it's a huge decision for him. And it'll be really, really, really interesting to see which way he goes. No doubt that Mo Salah will be starting for Liverpool, unlike maybe Harry Kane for, for Spurs. Do you think... It's, it's almost written for him because like what happened to, to him in, in Kiev was heartbreaking you couldn't you couldn't write it a number of things you couldn't write that night but he's almost right maybe not certainly not by Liverpool supporters but there's been times like where people have said oh he's not had as good a season and he's you know joint top scorer in the Premier League you know he's probably had this season the season many people would have loved him to have had in his first season yeah, yeah, you know it's just that he set the bar so high but do you think this could be his final? And he's a better player this season than he was last season. I think I, I, I did see some kind of like little stat table in the last couple of weeks, in the last few weeks of the, the league season, where it had basically goals and assists combined, and he was right, yeah, you know, right at the top of that. Which said, you know, he's not having, he's not stinking the place out like some idiots were suggesting that he was. 
I mean, it would be a fairy tale, you know, because it was it, it was heartrending. You know, I remember the day after, after I had a bit, a couple of hours kept kind of back at five <laughs> in the morning, whatever it was, and 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 knowing that you know the way I am, I was going to have to watch the match back. Kind of my way of processing it, but actually seeing because obviously we were at the other end of the ground, weren't we? And actually seeing the look on his face, the you know, the, the tears that when you know, the second time he went down when he knew he was going to have to go off and I might have been I, I cried with him because it, it was just so sad to see a, a lad that had given so much to our club uh, but I just think for the, to the game as well you know, the way he conducts himself the way he carries himself mm. the, what he stands for the, you know, the values that he has he didn't deserve that now you know you don't always get what you deserve in life you don't always get what you deserve in football but it would be you know a lovely kind of full circle if he was to play a significant part in getting us over the line on Saturday, but you know, if if it goes in, if if, if it's a long goal kick from Allison, <laughs> one nil, that'll do for me. You forget, <laughs> it would be lovely if it. You was forget fun. with Salad as well. Like he had the injury in Kiev, but then the World Cup as well. Yeah, and, 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 really, and, and everything that yeah. went off the field with the Egyptian FA and everything like that it was pretty tough few months. Yeah. Sure, it, it, was, yeah. it would be like a film, wouldn't it? Yeah, it really would be. Like it's. I, to be honest, like, I couldn't care less who it is who's going to win it. It is set up for him to be the man that wins the European Cup, but I've got a weird feeling about Firmino myself. Funny you say that, because so have I. I mean, I, I'm a, I'm a, I defy anyone in Liverpool to say they're a bigger Bobby Firmino fan than I am. I, I love him. You know, I, 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 little phrase, he's the straw that stirs the drink. <laughs> I just think he's incredible for us. But... I was a bit disappointed with him, and you know, having watched it back, I just kind of thought he didn't really turn up in Kiev. Every final so far, he hasn't turned up. I remember mm. was, he started in Sevilla, didn't he? But he was like on the left because Sturridge was through the middle. Yeah. I think and that was his first season, wasn't yeah. it? I was just like, he, he was wrecking me head, mm. like absolutely winding me up. And then it was kind of the same last year. He was like, he's doing me proper, really winding me up. And I don't know why, because I love him. I think he's boss, mm. but. I think people have cottoned on to the final performances and I've mentioned it over mm-hmm. on social and whatever and speaking to between mates. So I just think it's written for him because no matter what, he would have seen those messages somehow. He'd he'll know himself. He'll, he'll, I mean, he'll yeah, know I'm sure himself. there's no one more disappointed with his performance last year than him. Yeah, and I think... Well, he wasn't terrible. He just no. didn't really feature much yeah. at all. And I think... Um, yeah, he... He could because he missed a lot of, like the last few games. I think he'll know that he owes a big one. Hmm. No doubt about starting him, not through his quality, but just because he has had that injury problem. I know he was at the, the Open saying him recording this on the Tuesday and he was training on his own, but Klopp said he's fine. Mm. And he only asked that because there's no question he should be in that front three, but just because of what Origi's done. You feel sorry for Origi, you don't know, you? But, or do you see him being that impact sub? I mean, you know, I don't think there's anyone that would is more aware of Roberto Firmino's importance to this team than Jurgen Klopp and I think if he feels that Firmino is able to play a full part in the game he will start him obviously he will rely on the information and the data that I'm sure they get back off the sports science people and he'll be guided by that but if you know I'd be absolutely staggered if it is his wish and his intention to start for Firmino obviously you know They've had because of the fact you know the long gap. They've had a lot of time to kind of tailor a training program, a rehab program, to hopefully peak for June the first. 
And, you know, I'm, I'm a, hu- a huge fan of Origi. But even before, kind of like, you know, the, the amazing six months that he's mm-hmm. had, he just, he just seems like a good kid with a good attitude. Good character. And, mm-hmm. um, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm really made up for him, the, the fact that, you know, he's now getting the credit, you know, the credit that he has been getting but, and, and scored the, the big goals that he has done. But there's no, the, you know, in a tactical sense, there's, there's no question in my mind, it, you know, if, if Firmino is fit, he has to start. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. So that's the kind of striker's box off, isn't it? I think the defence, Matty, uh, obviously Van I mean, Dijk, Robertson, Chance. Saying, I mean, listen to a couple of podcasts today, a few people saying that if it was up to me, I'd throw Gomez in. And I'm a, Instead of Matty? Yeah, and I'm a, you know, a big fan of Gomez. I, you know, we, I think we were both at the game at, at Wembley in September. I've just September, been thinking, OK, he was the the first two one. best yeah. games yeah. Uh, for us. But... I think I said a couple of times, Joe Massive, I think, arguably is Liverpool's player of 2019. The second half, yeah. And I, I, I just, to me, it's inconceivable, particularly knowing, obviously, we've got to know the way Jurgen Klopp operates, the way he thinks, how, you know, the the togetherness of the group and kind of like almost like the moral fibre of the group depends on, you know, people delivery. You know, it's what people do in training, it's what people do in matches. You know, there is a meritocracy there. I think it would be unbelievably cruel to drop Massive now when he's played out, you know, such a massive part in getting us to this final, it's, it'd be unthinkable from, from my perspective. Yeah, exactly what Dan said. I'd, I can kind of see the argument for Gomez, but what Matip's done since Gomez was injured in December has been unbelievable. Um, the only thing for me is people still won't have Matip saying that he's a good defender when he actually is. Mm-hmm. People will be waiting. What more do people want? <laughs> people will be waiting for that Matip moments, just like they were waiting for Carrius. Mm. Uh, to a certain extent, Lovren, wasn't it? You know, some, before his run in the second half of last season. Well, the phrase, a Lovren moment, yeah. was very much part in of the In some sick, like cruel way, there'll be Liverpool fans going, if Matip starts, I'll take some kind of weird pleasure out of him. Being if the it one. goes to yeah. yeah. And it's sad, really, isn't it? I think it happens to, in all football clubs, doesn't it? Kind of like thing like Van Dijk's un- best defender in the world, but if he was to make a mistake, he probably you know people let him off because yeah. who he is. I think I don't think it's just Liverpool. Is it? I think it's I think every, it's, every yeah. set of fans has, yeah. have whipping boys. And I think particularly in the era of social media and so on as well, when everyone's an expert, everyone's a tactical guru. Some people feel that kind of like I've taken a position, I've got to stick to that position. I I love being able to say when I'm wrong. Yeah, uh, you know, it happens. It happens quite frequently. And generally, it'll mean that kind of like you've been unduly negative and things have worked out better than you've expected. So, where's the problem? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it sadly, you know, Paul, Paul's right that there will be some sad facts out there that if he was to play and make a bad mistake, they would take some it. kind of sadistic yeah, pleasure in them. Weird. But yeah. people like that are the, uh, are the minority and really and they won't be in that aren't car. worth the airtime no. we've already given them. So, Sodom. Definitely no whipping boys ever on uh, this podcast. Always intelligent uh, debates. But and one person we've had a lot of debates about is Jordan Henderson, isn't he it? You know, you know. This, I was going to ask you, mate. Yeah, no, yeah. but you you have had a bit of an about turn, haven't you? With the yeah. way, and he has been magnificent, hasn't he, in these last few months? He, he has, and I honestly believe it's down to the position change because yeah, I do. it's like people aren't going to like me saying this, but in 2013 14. Liverpool conceded so many goals because Gerrard was sitting in that holding role. No, I agree with that. I but, agree and the first that. time it happened, I don't know if you remember, was Stoke away and it was the 5-3. Five five three. Three. Yeah. That was the first time he played in this deeper role. And it's kind of the same 
as the way Henderson's been doing it. He's just not mm. a natural for that role. Yeah. Whereas Fabinho's come in and he, he He's he, liberated he, Henderson. Yeah. Yeah, you yeah. see you see the performance level of Fabinho. I'd, I'd go as far as saying it's probably the best midfield performance I've ever seen at Anfield against, against Barcelona. Barcelona. Oh, great. Inspired, wasn't he? <laughs> was Having been booked on 10 minutes for that. I mean, yeah. I, and no one, no one's made enough of that tackle on Suarez. I, I fully expected to see brilliant memes yeah. and videos flashing around the internet. If you actually watch the coverage back, they actually miss it. I think I think this, the, the camera's in a different part of the pitch. Yeah. So you only actually see it a slow motion replay. But I remember at the time, it was one of them where literally... Yeah, everyone's out the seat going, go ahead, well. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's one of the beauties of like English football, isn't yeah. it? A tackle can mean as much as a great goal at times, yeah. can't Man balled yeah. a lot. Yeah. It was yeah. one of the best tackles I've ever seen. But he, then obviously he's walking he the time. And he got booked for it for some yeah. reason. But yeah, with Henderson, he's really good at pressing and the energy he's got is just what you need in that midfield ahead of Fabinho. Let Fabinho just control everything and then have Henderson do the the running and and the little forward. bits of quality uh, yeah. as well. well in the yeah. goal in the second leg, yeah, exactly. It was yeah. down to him by and large. A great yeah. from Manny, but he's the one that shimmied inside and got mm-hmm. the shot off. Yeah, and he, well, you see, since he's went into that advanced role, like I know he scored at Southampton, but he's been involved in goals more. Mm. Like it might not be an assist cross for Manny against Chelsea. Yeah, it few. might not be a direct assist, but I'm sure he played the ball for storage. For Salah's goal and stuff, I might right. be wrong, but just thinking against Chelsea and yeah, Henderson has to start. And, but right. even though I think we're going to win the European Cup, I just can't picture him <laughs> in the European Cup. It's weird. Like, you, like I can see what Van Dyke with it. I can see why Naldon walking Klopp, down the pitch with yeah, it. You can see Klopp with it. I just cannot picture Jordan Henderson lifting that above his head. I don't know why. I, mean, I don't think you're alone. I remember seeing a really snide little kind of sponsored video tweet at some point towards the title running uh, bizarrely like someone from some Man United fans website so I don't know what they are, why they're asking him to do it because United weren't even in the title something about being the worst the, the, yeah. it, Henderson would be the worst ever league winning captain yeah. which I just thought was bang out of order and just pure yeah. internet snidery um, but I, you know I think I don't think Paul's the only Liverpool supporter whose view of Henderson has changed in recent months and I mean at the end of the day you know you need captains all over the pitch and Henderson has led by example at times but so is Van Dyke, so is Alisson so is Salah and Firmino and Milner and you know, you know all, all kinds of them in in, in their own ways and, and to me I, I think like Paul said this Henderson's absolutely nailed on I think Firmino is as well I think the only one area of contention in the midfield and really in the whole team I think the, the selection dilemma clock may have is um Wijnaldum or Milner for mm-hmm. the third midfield slot and I think for me it'd be just about Wijnaldum <laughs> primarily because I think in, in really no matter what way the game's going you probably want James Milner as your first sub yeah yeah, yeah. that's yeah. that's spot on um, I agree with Dan like I don't know I don't know about you but I think Wijnaldum had a tough six weeks or so he seems to run out of legs kind of like Late February, March time. He just, I mean, and the reason why that will be though, and Jurgen Klopp loves him. I, I've, yeah, I've not oh, yeah. looked at the numbers, but he has been. He must have played the vast majority of of in the midfield slots, and he just looked knackered yeah, to me. That, that's it. It wasn't as if he was playing bad, but his performance level had dropped off a bit. Yeah, but now that three weeks he's recharged, and he's also scored a few big goals, and not just the Barcelona. You forget about the one at Cardiff and things. So. 
he he can do that. Like whereas even though Milner, his numbers are probably great. Most of them are from penalty spots, aren't they? So with Fabinho, you're not going to really get the goal from the midfield. You wouldn't imagine Henderson. Alright, he scored at Southampton, but I really, if you need a goal from midfield, are you looking at Henderson? You'd probably look at Wijnaldum, so mm-hmm. I'd start him. I do. I just think with with Wijnaldum as well, he's so versatile. You know what I mean? I think particularly now that you know Fabino's kind of really made this holding role his own. I think he will hopefully look to get forward in his you know, he, he seems to score in big games really, doesn't yeah, he? Sure. First away goal was last year in the Stadio Olimpico, wasn't it? And obviously Wembley this year, two in the semis against Barcelona, big goal at Cardiff when we needed one. But he's got you know, I, I, early on. I just kind of thought there was something about him that reminded me. I've said this a few times of Graham Souness. I'm not that you know Souness one of the greatest midfielders in Liverpool's history. What I meant by that was that kind of like he's all action. He's he's he just seems like a big player that that thrives on big moments. Obviously, got all the you know a lot of headlines and, and rightly so in the Barcelona game for the two brilliant goals in the space of a couple of minutes early in the second half. But to me, you know, one of the most memorable moments of the whole evening was in that last seven or eight minutes when, we, when we've got in front and obviously they're throwing the kitchen sink at us there was one moment when he kind of I think he picked up the ball in the centre circle in our half and he was massively pressurised like three or four people around him. him So somehow he shielded the ball got control of it spun them with this incredible <laughs> turn and then pinged this brilliant ball out to the left wing and yeah. it was just like you're not seeing a better piece of midfield play than that anywhere ever yeah uh, I've got a feeling it was actually Tottenham at home um thinking back because I come out the ground on like a massive high and I remember somebody just walking alongside somebody and went we're, we're all living in a world controlled by Genie Wijnaldum <laughs> <laughs> and it must have been Tottenham because the, the buzz coming out of the ground that day yeah, against Tottenham it was a real get out of jail yeah, I think yeah. that was the thing about that last few weeks of the season for, for a time it was almost like every week for about three or four weeks, the season was slipping through our fingers, and then something would happen in the last couple of minutes Pull to say, back. "No, it's not." Yeah, yeah. And obviously, it's Loris, it carried, not Loris, Larissa's mistake, wasn't it? But yeah, there was euphoria coming out that round. Yeah. So, um, whoever said that, I'm taking copyright on that. We are <laughs> living in a world controlled by Genie Wijnaldum. <laughs> Unfortunately, we're also living in a world controlled by UEFA. Uh, and as you two guys are obviously out there, uh, and I know we've all got friends who are probably in the same boat, people going out there who should have a ticket, don't have a ticket. We, we probably said this on the, the last year's podcast pre-Kiev, but I don't know, Peter Hooten's uh, Ale LaRue's latest one really went into mm. depth about it with some of the lads who, who were part of Spirit of Shankly as well. Like, it does feel like something's got to be done about this, isn't it? Like, the amount of tickets that are on sale to two massive football clubs, particularly Liverpool, given the size of the worldwide fan base, but it just doesn't feel enough, does it? There is disgrace. They, they shame the game. They have done for years and years and years. They pay lip service to how in tune with the fans they are. But at the end of the day, it's, it's, it's impossible to avoid the conclusion that all they care about is lying in their own pockets. And it's very, very hard not to be very bitter and cynical about it when there's good reds that me and Paul know and many, many others will know as well that some of them will be going with no chance of a ticket. Some of them you know, haven't even entertained the thought of going. And these are lads that go up and down the country um, week in, week out, year in, year out. Year out. You know, I'm, I'm trying not to let it kind of spoil my own you know, sense of anticipation and enjoyment ahead of the final but you know, we were told last year after the Kiev fiasco this won't happen again that, you know, all the finals are going to go to places with proper infrastructure I mean you know, it's bad enough what's happening to us I mean the, the situation with the uh, Europa oh, final in, yeah. in Baku is just beyond belief 
um, in terms of the supporters. When UEFA were challenged about it, they said, oh yeah, they're only getting 6,000 each because um, it's difficult for the fans to get to. Well, why have they got the final then? I mean, apparently, um, obviously I think Arsenal and Chelsea have both sent back about half their allocations of you know, measly 6,000, which obviously really sticks in the throat when you think about how many Liverpool fans and probably plenty of Tottenham fans are desperate for the ticket. Mm-hmm. Apparently quite a lot of sponsors are sending back tickets and I'm absolutely made up to hear that. I really hope that ground is half empty and it really put, shines a spotlight on UEFA's inadequacy and you know, there's lots of words I'd like to use, but, the dis- <laughs> the, but I won't do. But the, the disgraceful way um, that, that they run the game, they're, they're an absolute shower of unpleasant things (laughs) 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 I think um, when what you've just been saying there about the sponsors um, sending tickets back I've got a weird feeling I might be wrong here but we spoke about Kiev and we were saying especially in the Madrid end I was like I think there could be some empty seats because Mm. it's a nightmare to get to the Ukraine and I was like it could be the Champions League final the burst UEFA's bubble Yeah, it wasn't but (laughs) That Europa League final could be the one. Could be the one. Like, it really mm. could be. And it, <laughs> no matter what, UEFA will go. Oh, that's not good for us. Like it's going around the world. That final, two massive, massive sides, and the ground's half empty. It's it's a shame that Arsenal haven't already qualified for the Champions League. Obviously, Chelsea have through their league position. Arsenal, you know, need to. Um. If they'd both qualified, then maybe they wouldn't, maybe I'm naive to even think it, but if, if they'd both qualified, I'd love both clubs to have said to UEFA, you know what, stick your final. Mm. <laughs> this, this is a joke. We, don't, we want no part of it. We're, we're in your, your money-making Champions League next year or anyway. Stick it. Yeah. Um, send the kids. Maybe that would have never happened anyway, but surely enough is enough at some point. The, the, the problem is, and this, this is why it is important at least, you know, from, if what we're hearing is true that some sponsors are sending stuff back the problem is I get the impression that UEFA don't necessarily need bums on seats in terms of fans bums on seats for it to be a success if they sell the right amount of commercial partnerships the right amount of TV deals around the world the event as such can still make the, the kind of profit margin that they're looking for um, however if this is true and some sponsors are pulling out then as well as having the actual physical you know, demonstrable failure of big big patches of empty seats in the in the ground to a global tv audience if they're kind of if they're if they're if when they crunch the numbers at the end they're down as well unfortunately that's the bottom line that seems to be the only language that they understand yeah sympathy for anyone who's who's not got a ticket who deserves one say one of my friends ross is is going out there himself uh but you know i suppose if there's any consolation it's not much there will be a massive amount of Liverpool supporters out in madrid watching the game over there not in the ground but it'll be how many do you think will be over there sky Sky was saying seventy thousand. i think it's gonna be i mean i think double because what are you forgetting this is people coming from the uk there's there's gonna be spanish dreads People coming from all the mainland of Europe, like Barcelona. I, I was just talking to like if she's Spanish, she would. Where were they from? I think they were from Malaga. They were just Spanish Liverpool fans from Malaga who just went. Oh, I'm going to come to Barcelona. Liverpool are there. Enjoy it. Soak up the atmosphere. And there'll be loads of them. Do, I mean, I, I, I think at least fifty, sixty, seventy. I remember always remember saying in Istanbul, how many clubs could could count on this kind of support for. You know, to, to travel. You know, Real Madrid and Barcelona have got millions and millions of worldwide fans, but, but they don't travel. Not, it's not the culture. Liverpool, Liverpool, United, Celtic range, I think, would travel in these kind of numbers. But again, putting it back on UEFA's toes, 
the, the club have announced today you know, the official details of the fan park and everything else, but it does say in there um, there will be, you know, the, 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 fact that the game will not be shown on big screens anywhere. Now, I think we had, we had a story earlier in the week that Joe Anderson was, um, was concerned about this situation, rightly so, and made the point that if things go wrong, who's going to get the blame again? The fans. Mm, yeah. um, and, and he was going to go back to the, to, the, to the Madrid mayor, apparently, to respectfully ask them to look at the decision again. So, I mean, yeah, we've still got four days to go, but I'm hoping that some guy, you know, I had a message off a mate today, if you heard anything, you know, screens, this, that and the other. Um, I mean, I would imagine maybe what they'll say is, you know, it, it is a big, fantastic city with lots of great bars, but I think people will just need a little bit of guidance because, you know, once it gets to five, you know, the, what, what, the weather forecast is, what, 32, 33 degrees? After it's a few be, cold ones. Yeah. Well, <laughs> people will need to at least have some sense, some idea of, of, of where they should be going. So maybe, if the, you know, I think the two fan parks are in kind of like different parts of the city. Only, only like a kilometre away from each other. Are they? Mm-hmm. Well, mate, well, so, so uh, I don't know, listen, there's no particular beef between Liverpool and Tottenham. And, you know, I think it's, I'm not trying to kind of stir up any kind of, any grudge which doesn't exist. That's the last thing I'd want to do. But I think if, if both clubs are given some guidance, these are the areas that you should look to head to when you're looking to watch the game. I think it would just help people and, and just, you know, hopefully ease that sense of uncertainty and confusion, which obviously, as we know ourselves, you know, when you're out there in a foreign country on a big day with all the excitement and the adrenaline and the ale and everything else, it, you know, you need to you know, you need to just have that little bit of a helping hand to make sure that, you, you know, things go as smoothly as, as possible. Um, yeah. <laughs> with the talk of screens and imagery... I kind of understand why UEFA don't do it. Like at the end of the day, they they do say don't travel without a ticket, and yeah, that's totally. to keep like cover their back. I know, but you got to think there's going to be a huge security presence around the stadium, police, and then you would have to police these squares as well, as well as the surrounding streets. It would be will Madrid have enough <laughs> enough police as well of dealing with like the everyday crime? You don't know. It's going to be a massive. Um, police presence anyway just around the ground so yeah I can kind of understand it well that's the end of the podcast broke off ask you a final question uh, asking for predictions straight out because I don't want to jinx anything for you but uh, <laughs> what's your gut feeling will you know when we convene probably next week sometime when you're back here in Merseyside will we be talking about a six European Cup Liverpool to win it has to be. Do you know what I mean? It, the, the season that we've had, the way they've made us feel all year, all year, like I said before, no one's got a divine right to win. You know, my dad, my, my, my old Evertonian dad, God rest him, used to, and he was he was quite fair-minded, but occasionally he'd go off and wonder about, you Liverpoolians and your divine right to win, whatever. We haven't got a divine right to win. We've got to turn up. But we've put so much into these last two seasons. This opportunity is in front of us now. Just go and take it. I'm going to get go and give a prediction. I think it'll be 3 <laughs> 0. I think it'll be 3 0. I think we'll be 2 0 up at half time. Tottenham will have a go and then we'll kill them on the hour mark. And then for the first time, I can remember we'll have fun for the last half an hour. Oh, oh, you'll be like Liverpool way to do it. Maybe, maybe it's me just hoping. I really can't deal with the thought of going to Tottenham's new ground and only pieces in the European Cup final. It's just. <laughs> people, people were saying we'd be unbearable if we'd won the title. Imagine that. <sighs> nah. 3-0 the Reds. You've been listening to the Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.